Hello, welcome to my podcast, Paper Sun, Chinese American Citizen. This is episode six. episode, I spoke about the effects of the passage of the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. We also learned about the violence against Chinese that were living in America and the enforcement of the new landmark law. In late May of the year 1887, one of the deadliest attacks against Chinese occurred. Initially, not much was known about the incident, and it took nearly a century after it before it was better understood. The incident is called the Hell's Canyon Massacre. It's also known as the Snake River Massacre. In that incident, there was a gang of horse thieves, all of them white men, that shot and murdered Chinese laborers. A group of over 30 Chinese laborers were mining gold at a remote area near the Snake River in the Oregon Territory. They were spotted by a gang of seven horse thieves who shot all of the miners and beat to death one of the miners that tried to escape. All of the murdered bodies were later mutilated and then dumped into the Snake River. The murderous thieves also stole the miners' gold, supplies, and equipment. The Chinese six companies hired a private investigator. That investigation led to the arrest of the seven. Six of them were eventually indicted, one of them a 15-year-old. Only three of the six stood trial. All three of those were acquitted by a jury despite eyewitness testimony. The Snake River Massacre incident had ended and not one person was or ever held responsible. Outside of the exclusion law, numerous Chinese immigrants chose to enter the United States illegally from Canada and Mexico. Indeed, for many Chinese immigrants, illegal entry provided the only means of getting into America. When the United States decided to officially pursue exclusion, Two 
or restrictions on Chinese immigration, evidence and records proved she really believed those measures would stop Chinese immigration. Illegal immigration, however, was big business, and the Chinese obviously believed the rewards of illegal entry were worth the risks. Canada, in 1885, passed a $50 head tax on all Chinese laborers. The tax was collected by the ship captain. The intent by the Canadian government was to stop the Chinese from coming. That proved to be an insufficient means to stop the immigration. As the United States was, for the most part, their ultimate destination. The $50 head tax was, the immigrants believed, far less onerous than trying to enter America legally. As American Chinese immigration exclusion laws became more restrictive and limiting, more and more Chinese immigrants chose the Canadian route. While Canada eventually raised the head tax to $500 by 1903, it had little effect of stopping the Chinese. Estimates were given that 99% of the Chinese entering Canadian territory intended to illegally enter into the United States. Until 1923, when Canada finally passed a more comprehensive exclusion law, she was the preferred route for illegal entry into America. Another path the Chinese took after entering Canada was to ride a railroad east across Canada to more porous and less vigilant ports of entry in the United States. Buffalo, New York became a popular entry point. Mexico was also a place to gain entry into the United States. At that time, her border with the United States was largely unguarded. In fact, both Mexican and Chinese officials encouraged using Mexico as a point of entry. Mexico wanted immigrants for the development of the nation. The Chinese amply satisfied that need. Later, at the turn of the century, when the United States and Mexico agreed to a treaty of comity and commerce, was Chinese immigration from Mexico taken seriously and addressed. It would be 1926 before Mexico finally restricted Chinese entry into Mexico. Before then, Mexico was an easy point for Chinese to get into. While estimates cannot be completely relied upon, I read reports that as many as 2,000 Chinese each year entered America from Mexico from the year 1876 to 1911. From Canada, reports stated as many as 6,000 entered the United States illegally from the year 1882 to 1910. Of course, many of these aliens were caught and deported, maybe as many as one half of them. Many have argued that illegal immigration was perhaps 
the clearest sign that America's exclusion laws did not work and were futile. In 1884, Congress amended the Chinese Exclusion Act. The law intended to cut off Chinese laborer immigration by prohibiting re-entry to the United States unless they could prove they were in the nation prior to the adoption of the Yangao Treaty of 1880. To implement, that, to implement that, a Chinese laborer had to obtain a certificate, an early version of a passport. Chu Hyong, a Chinese laborer, left the United States in 1881 and intended to return. He did return, but after the 1884 change in the law, and he did not have a certificate. After he was denied re-entry to America, he challenged the Chinese Exclusion Act. His argument centered on the idea the act violated the treaty between China and the United States. In Chu Hiong versus the United States, 112, U.S. Reporter, 536, Decided in the year 1884, the United States Supreme Court, incidentally, its first case considering the Chinese Exclusion Act, ruled in his favor. The court stated that he could not be required to produce a certificate because he was out of the country when it was impossible, impossible for him to do so. More importantly, the court ruled that the United States Treaty with China, referring to the Angao Treaty, prohibited the United States' refusal to permit Chu Hyong's reentry. As a side note, in 1885, Congress passed the Alien Contract Labor Law that prohibited unskilled contract workers from other countries. The law was supposedly intended to promote the immigration of skilled workers and laborers. The law, however, primarily targeted Chinese immigrants. In 1884, the first ruling on the citizen, Citizenship Clause of the 14th Amendment was made. A federal district court in California, in the case of N. Ray Luk Tin Singh, 21, Federal Reporter 905, held that a child of Chinese parents who still retained their status as Chinese citizens was a United States citizen because he, their child, was born on American soil. The parents' citizenship was immaterial. The case was remarkable because it was the first published decision promoting jus soli. An immediate impact from the Luk Tin Singh decision was that immigration officials began scrutinizing Chinese claims of native-born status. In another important court ruling, the Supreme Court in Yik Wo versus Hopkins 118 U.S. Reporter 356 
decided in the year of 1886, decided that a racially neutral law applied in a discriminatory manner violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The case originated as a result of a San Francisco ordinance requiring a city permit of all laundries that were in wooden buildings. As a result of the ordinance, not a single Chinese launderer received a city permit. During the latter part of the 19th century, America was not the only destination for Chinese men. She was, however, the most popular. The Chinese coming to America were aggressively pursuing legal fights in the courts. The Chinese came to the conclusion and preferred the courts that they were generally more lenient in matters of immigration determinations, particularly over claims the petitioners were United States citizens. Indeed, lawyers played key roles for the Chinese. The Chinese, it was, obser- it was observed, usually hired good attorneys. The lawyers proved to be indispensable allies to Chinese immigrants. Also, despite the exclusion law and immigration officials, American employers were willing to hire the Chinese. During that time, or most of it, America was expanding and needed laborers. Many companies complained to Congress and immigration officials of the growing lack of Chinese laborers. That shortage, they complained, was preventing businesses from fulfilling their contractual obligations. There were some reports from that period that the bulk of farm workers in California were Chinese. Initially, after the 1882 Exclusion Act went into effect, immigration legally in the United States declined rapidly. During that same period of time, the number of Chinese leaving America was at all-time highs. By 1890, it was noted that the number of Chinese stores in San Francisco, Chinatown, were greatly reduced. Despite the reductions, there were still many people arguing and complaining that there were too many Chinese entering the United States. You will remember, I mentioned this before, there were diplomatic efforts between the United States and the Qing government to negotiate a prohibition or reduction to Chinese immigration leading up to the Exclusion Act of 1882. Those negotiations never really ceased. In 1886, China proposed barring laborers from leaving China if they had never previously been in the United States. China also proposed that it would bar returning laborers to the United States if they had no property or family or valuables in America. 
These proposals were done in an effort to stave off further exclusion of Chinese and to continue with the same limitations as expressed in the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Law. Separately, the Chinese government worked to seek reparations and indemnifications from the United States government for the violence committed against the Chinese at Rock Springs, Eureka, and Tacoma. And in February 1887, President Grover Cleveland signed into law, awarding the Chinese government about $150,000. About one year later, the United States and China agreed to a new treaty that was two years in the making. The Bayard Jung Treaty would have prohibited all Chinese from entering the United States for 20 years. Bayard was the United States Secretary of State at the time, and Jung was a Chinese diplomat. The 20-year ban would not apply to merchants, students, diplomats, and laborers, but only if the laborers could prove that they had immediate family in America, or at least $1,000 in property or debts owed to them in the United States. The United States government ratified the treaty. The treaty, however, was rejected in 1888 by the Qing government. Chinese merchants in the United States objected to the treaty. The merchants worried the lack of Chinese workers would imperil their businesses. The Chinese government worried the treaty would be used as a blueprint by other nations. The treaty's rejection worried the Democrats in the United States who had supported President Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland, in his first term, starting in 1885, did not carry a single Western state. Cleveland, as some of you may know, was the first Democrat elected as president since the American Civil War. So the rejection of the treaty and the demand that something be done about the Chinese problem caused Cleveland and his Democrats to join with the Republicans to resolve the problem. In the 1888 election, Cleveland needed to carry favor with the Western states and deprive the Republicans from making the claim their party cared more about resolving the Chinese immigration problem. So the Democrats and Cleveland pushed hard to push for exclusion of Chinese. By the Monday following the news the treaty had been rejected by the imperial Chinese government, the Democrats, they had controlled the House, introduced legislation for the exclusion of Chinese from entering the United States. In a period of about seven years, the great experiment over Chinese immigration had gone from restriction to exclusion. The United States was ready to close the gate, so to speak, on Chinese entering America. The Scott Bill that was introduced proposed to amend 
the Chinese Exclusion Act. Thank you for listening.